Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Along with bringing you updates and critical information happening all around the world, we're always fortunate to have the chance to bring our local ELA lawyers into the conversation. These folks are practicing on the ground in jurisdictions all around the globe, working daily to help their clients move through difficult times. On the program, we span the globe, receiving critical updates on issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we're going to be chatting with one of our members in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We also have a special announcement moving forward. We have a new moderator who will be helping us out with podcasts in Canada. Many of our listeners may remember Mark Allward, associate at Taylor McCaffrey in Manitoba. His excellent podcast on employment law developments in Canada was broadcast a few weeks ago. So Mark, we're excited to have you with us on the team. How are you doing today? Hi, Pete. Thank you for the great introduction. I'm doing well and hope that Arizona is treating you well as well. It has. Take the program away, sir. The program is now yours. Thanks, Pete. So as Peter said, joining us today on Employment Matters is Danny Bernstein, a partner at Roper Grayall. Danny is going to share with us a brief update on employment law considerations with the shift to working from home as a result of the pandemic. Welcome to the program, Danny. How are you doing today? Yeah, thanks very much, Mark. I'm doing great. It's nice to join you on the podcast. I'm looking forward to this discussion today about some legal issues and considerations in our working from home environment. And it seems like, at least in Canada and certainly in British Columbia, that it's going to be around for some time that we're working from home. So, Danny, right now, a lot of employers have their employees working from home. What sorts of considerations should employers have when their employees are working from home over a longer term? Yeah, good question, Mark. As you've said, many businesses have pivoted to a working from home environment. Some of them, for example, like my law firm, have moved to a model where people can choose to work from at home or in the office or at the physical premises, but others are entirely working from home. Initially, there was a rush to get everyone working from home when the onset of the pandemic. And now we're in a phase where I think employers are looking to what the future holds and are they going to permanently have people from home? Some of the research suggests that is the case. Others will have more of a hybrid of working in the office or at, at home. So along with this comes some legal considerations that employers need to look at with their employees working from home. Uh, if I can, I'll start with a high-level overview of some of the broader issues, and then we can dive into some more detail as we go along. So, Mark, at a macro level, at a high level, employers need to think of things like occupational health and safety. For example, how do these requirements that translate from the physical workplace to a working-from-home environment? And in my experience, speaking with our clients, many companies have not yet considered this question, and there is certainly potential risk there. Another area to think about is working from home policies. We have policies around many things in the workplace, but now how does that translate to working from home? Do you need a policy and what should it cover? Similarly, working from home contracts, if you're going to have employees on permanent working from home arrangements, or modified arrangements, do you need to have a contract to cover off certain areas there? One big area that we're seeing is how to manage and monitor performance and attendance. How can this be monitored when your workforce is not physically present in the workplace? And finally, an area that I think everyone has had to deal with is the duty to accommodate and the duty to inquire. How does that apply to a working from home environment and what are some things to watch for? 
So those are the broader issues, Mark, and lots for employers to think about. You're absolutely right, Danny. There is a lot of considerations for employers to have. I want to talk a little bit about the occupational safety and health perspective. I'm in the same boat as you. This seems to be something that is overlooked by many as we transfer to a working from home environment. Employers are aware that they have a duty to keep their employees safe in the workplace. But when that transfers to home, that's a different ballgame entirely. Can you expand a little bit on what is really required of an employer in that regard? Yeah, sure. Exactly as you explained, the employers have a duty to ensure the health and safety of their workers. And generally, health and safety legislation across Canada requires that employers or companies take all reasonable precautions to provide a workplace that is free from hazards. And that applies equally to a working from home environment. So I'm sitting in my my office in my house, and this is my new working from home environment, and as are many others throughout the country. And what employers need to turn their minds to is that that home office has now become the workplace, at least temporarily. So the same considerations that you would look at for from a safety perspective at the workplace also apply to home. In British Columbia, for example, the Workers' Compensation Act and our occupational health and safety regulations clearly still apply to a home environment. So, Danny, that makes sense from a high-level perspective, but what's the practical advice that you're giving to employers on how best to address these issues? I think employers are well-served to address this new normal working from home environment with updated health and safety policies that specifically address working from home. So some areas they would like to cover would include a requirement for an employee, so your workers, to conduct an assessment of the workplace and report any hazards. So, for example, looking around the home office, are there tripping hazards? Are there fire hazards? What dangers are there? And there are checklists and worksheets that are available freely online for companies to have their employees fill out. There are protocols for evacuations in the case of an emergency, depending on the type of place someone is working at that may differ. How would one report a work-related injury or an incident if I step up from my desk and I trip over a computer cable or if there's an electrical incident? How am I going to report that? Who is am I reporting it to? What's the reporting structure? Policies should also look at things like working alone and working in isolation. We already had that in some safety-sensitive industries, but now you need to think about your employees' Perhaps they're they're living alone or perhaps they're not working with another employee or another person. And so now checking in on them, are they okay? How is their mental health? Those are some considerations that a policy should look at too. And also a big one is ergonomic requirements. It was easy in the office for the company to provide good desks, good chairs, good ergonomic arrangements. But do you have employees working from kitchen tables and bars and benches, which ultimately is going to be bad for them physically, and that may also result in physiotherapists and and massage and, and other considerations. So that's something a policy should look at. Moving away from that aspect of a policy, you might also consider who can work from home if that is an option for you. It, it may be not automatic that everyone can, and perhaps your policy addresses who is entitled to work from home. Hours of work and monitoring of work That is another area that could be addressed in a policy. What are the expectations of the company? Is there a check-in every morning to ensure someone is at their desk or where they should be? And 
do they need someone to speak to them on that day or do they need to arrange for anything on that day? Policies should address the company property. Have you provided your workers with computers or laptops or phones or internet or, or other things that are company property? Address privacy considerations, confidentiality considerations as well. And finally, I'll mention that it should be made very clear that respectful workplace policies would continue to apply to the working from home environment. Danny, so it sounds like employers have quite a burden here in terms of new or revised policies. Do you have any practical advice for employers aside from policy-based solutions? Yes, certainly. I think employers should look at employment contracts as well on an individual level. This would be particularly if individuals are asking specifically to work from home. They can enter into specific contractual arrangements, maybe setting out the duration of that working from home, what the expectations are. I have had the question asked in terms of income and is there going to be different income levels for people working at home or working in the office, particularly if performance or productivity is different. So that's something that could be considered. So one concern that I've personally seen is is attendance and performance management. So how can an employer effectively manage performance and employee attendance when an employee is not physically in the workplace? Yeah, this is an area we know that companies are struggling with when they don't have their employees physically present in the workplace. And I think employers have had to adapt and be versatile when it comes to performance management. And and I think they've done that fairly successfully, at least as far as my discussions with clients are telling me. Fundamentally, employers continue to have the right to expect employees to meet productivity and performance standards, whatever those standards may be. It may be that in a working from home environment, expectations have changed, productivity or performance standards have changed. But whatever they are, being at home is not a reason or an excuse for failing to meet those expectations. So I think what's really important is that management communicate very clearly what the expectations are in a working from home environment, be it around hours of work, be it around productivity, responsiveness, communication. If those are as they were in a pre-pandemic environment, then that's fairly simple to communicate. But if they have changed, then the new expectations, the new goals and objectives need to be communicated. One area that this really comes up in is childcare arrangements and requiring employees to have arrangements in place to allow for them to be productive during working hours. As we know, people are now working from home and having different childcare arrangements, perhaps because schools are closed, perhaps because their children are unable to attend at school for other reasons, or their spouse is unable to, is also at home and not at work. And so childcare arrangements have definitely changed. And I think companies are aware of that and and need to be flexible in that. We've all had to learn to deal with interruptions to our Zoom calls where kids or pets or whomever it might be are, are getting involved. I know that I've had clients tell me that my sons are doing cartwheels behind me in my office and I've been completely unaware of it. But employers can still insist that employees, their workers have dedicated work time and time that is free from childcare or free from other personal commitments. And I think that requires a discussion to determine how that is going to work. And again, setting out what those expectations are. Now, there is 
probably a, a discussion that needs to happen around accommodating childcare arrangements. And I know that in our human rights codes throughout Canada, employees are protected under what's called family status. But those protections are limited. And it is important to keep in mind that a preference for a childcare arrangement is not necessarily a legal entitlement to that arrangement. And if your employee's preferences are interfering with work, then as an employer, you may be able to require alternate arrangements to be made. So I think another area that's really important is for sick leave management. You talked about attendance. Employers should continue to require employees to get approval and provide appropriate documentation for sick days and absences. It may be easier seemingly to not attend at work or to attend at work late or to take time off work when you're not physically present. So I think managing absenteeism by maintaining the same expectations of reporting absences and providing documentation is particularly important at this time. So Danny, what I'm getting from this largely is that it's a matter of maintaining strong communication ties between an employer and an employee. Is that a fair way to surmise what you've stated there? Yeah, I, I think that's really important. I think more so than ever, open communication channels, checking in on employees and, and having two-way communications to set expectations, but also to hear and to listen about requirements and, and needs from your workforce is, is really key right now. Danny, I'm going to switch gears a little bit now, and our audience is always particularly interested in hearing about accommodations and the duty to accommodate. It's such a difficult area for employers to deal with. And of course, accommodations can happen for a variety of reasons. You mentioned family considerations, health reasons, etc. Is that situation different than someone who just has a preference to work from home or a fear of coming into the office in light of the pandemic situation? Yeah, that's a really good question. And the duty to accommodate is a difficult area uh, at the best of times and certainly made more complicated by the pandemic and working from home. We've had a lot of clients asking us that very question in terms of, I have an employee who has a preference to work from home because of a general concern about safety as opposed to having a medical condition that prevents them from attending at the office. So we've not seen much, if anything, coming from our human rights tribunals to address the duty to accommodate in this new environment. And really, we're applying the, the general principles that we all know. The duty to accommodate does apply to an employee working from home. And I think the protected grounds that we're most seeing in a working from home context are mental and physical disabilities and family status. And we talked briefly about family status before. I think I've had more discussions around family status accommodation in the past year than I have previously at any point in my career. Assessing whether accommodations are required and also are successful is quite challenging in a working from home environment. And this goes to the point we've previously made that more frequent check-ins with an employee, particularly one who's being accommodated, and also with any of their healthcare providers as part of the accommodation process is required. As we know, accommodations are not stagnant. They're not a one-time fix to a solution, and it's an ongoing obligation that employees have to accommodate, which means there's an ongoing obligation to assess whether an accommodation is working, and indeed to assess whether an accommodation continues to be necessary. 
So that's where this two-way communication with employees is really important. How are they doing? How is it working for the, the company? How is productivity being affected? All of the different considerations that you would perhaps be more aware of in a physically present environment still continue to apply. Another area that we're seeing challenges the duty to inquire, which in human rights law is an obligation on, on a company to inquire about an employee when, for example, you're made aware of certain facts that make it incumbent on you to ask whether the employee needs help. So examples are slipping in performance, attendance, Examples of the pre-pandemic where people were attending at work would be someone attending disheveled or someone appearing to be under the influence of drugs. Those are situations where an employee hasn't come forward and asked for an accommodation, but the facts make it so that the employee has this duty to inquire, which is much more difficult in a working from home environment when you're not physically seeing your employees. And Perhaps you're seeing them on a Zoom or a Teams call, but it, it's also possible you're going for periods of time where no one's seeing them, which is why I think daily check-ins and just more frequent communication to ask employees how they're doing, not necessarily asking them, do you need an accommodation, but just asking them generally how they're doing and being attuned to performance issues, to attendance issues, or to hints that an employee may need help. I think are particularly important for an employer right now to satisfy this legal obligation they have to inquire. Also on the concept of a duty to accommodate, it's important to keep in mind that an accommodation is not necessarily an employee's preference. And we've had this discussion a lot with our clients when it comes to childcare arrangements. Employees may prefer to work certain hours or they may prefer to work in certain ways, but that is not raised to the level of a duty to accommodate unless there is a prohibited or a protected ground behind it. So, for example, a, a genuine family status accommodation or a disability accommodation. And Mark, you mentioned employees who have a generalized fear of coming into the office. If it is safe for them to come into the office and if, if the employer can provide adequate protective measures so that they can come into the office, then absent medical reasons for them not. This is where the preference to not come into the office is different from the duty to accommodate a disability for someone being unable to come into the office. And our advice has been that a generalized fear or a unwillingness to come into the office is not sufficient to rise to the level of a duty to accommodate absent some medical basis for it. What accommodations look like may be slightly different as well in a working from home environment. But generally speaking, you're looking at flexible hours of work. I think that's a big one. Perhaps reduced hours of work. Also, technical aids, ergonomic equipment, adaptive technology to allow people to work in a home environment. Or perhaps you're even looking at an unpaid leave if there's no other alternative to having someone continue to work from home. Well, this has been a very interesting and enlightening discussion. Thank you so much for your time today, Danny. If you'd like to connect with Danny Bernstein or any of our lawyers around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law by going to the big Find a Lawyer widget in the center of the page where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, see content from our online on-demand library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters. 
a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Mark Allward. Thanks for listening.